Tilly died. And those of you who have had experiences like that where family members have died, and particularly if you're a parent to have a child die, there's a uniqueness to that kind of pain because it's just not natural. You know, you're, you're not supposed to outlive your children. And, and so you had the national pain, and then you had the personal pain, and then, then his wife, almost like Job's wife, if you've read much about his wife. His, his wife became so distraught, she went everywhere trying to figure out how to make sense, and she got into kind of the Far Eastern mediums, and it just kind of got bizarre. Well, in the midst of that, the story is told that he began looking to, for some other source of help. And he befriended a pastor in the area. It was a, a man named Phineas, Phineas Gurley. Now, did anybody have any relatives named Phineas? Oh, we got, we got some back there. Okay, Phineas is not a particularly popular name today. Where I came from in terms of uh, my last ministry before I came here was in Banning. And the, the man whose name is used for the city of Banning, his last name is Banning, but his first name is Phineas. Uh, well, Phineas Gurley was a pastor of the, getting this down right, the the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington. And in many times of counsel and discussion and, and experiences together, Phineas writes in his memoirs that Abraham Lincoln made a conversion to Christ. Now, I'm not here to debate whether that was a true conversion or not, but he says, the pastor, that he had made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And, and at that point, he was marked differently from that time on. And, and, and so what he had come to at that point where he still could not give answers to why his young son had died or why he was leading our country in the worst war we've ever been in, the Civil War, that he came to that point where he had to decide either that he believed God was still on the throne in control or he was not. It is said during that particular time that, that there were hospitals throughout the Washington area around the capital. In fact, uh, I guess 50 temporary hospitals, hospitals were put together. And also, that even in the rotunda in the capital, there were 2,000 cots. And it is said that during that period of time, the average was 50 of those soldiers in those hospitals or cots would die daily. So it wasn't just numbers being sent from the, the front lines far away from visual awareness, but even within his own eyesight, and you could say earsight, and maybe other senses as well, he, he experienced death. And it is said that as, as he wrestled through that, that he came to the point where he said, we cannot but believe, but believe that he who made the world still governs it. And even in his second um, inauguration um, speech, he had these words from the scripture, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, now I share that story because we're on President's Weekend, and I, it was just kind of an interesting look at one of our presidents who came to the point in his life where it is said that he came to the realization he needed to spend more time on his knees praying about the state of the nation rather than at his desk thinking about the state of the nation. And as we think about it, if that true is true about someone who led a nation, uh, how true also should it be of us who live in our homes? As we think about living in our homes, we can debate all kinds of things about 
uh, where we live, whether we are alone at home or whether we're within a nuclear family or an extended family, is that we can spend a lot of time debating how God wants us to look at the family or recognize we need to come to that point where we need to spend time praying for the family and and believe that that God's God's law, God's commandments, God's word are not only true, uh, but they're righteous, which means they're right. They're, they're, They're that which is best for us. And so when we're at that place in, in, in Ephesians, and this is kind of just how my mind works, I'm thinking we're, you know, we've talked about the church, and the church ought to be a place where people see who? Christ. And then we've been looking at the home, and that ought to be a place where people see, we can say that a little bit louder, it's, it's in church, right? The home is a place where people ought to see Christ. Is At times we can kind of... Um, you know, we can resist how he wants us to live in such a way that people can see Christ. You say, God, God I'm not sure I uh, agree with what you've just done in terms of le- having, allowing our nation to go to war against each other. I, I don't know if I really agree with you, you allowing my son, age 11, to die. And I'm not sure I, I really, really think it's fair the way you've set up the, not only the church, but the family to, to live out your principles in terms of, of living in a way that's subservient to your will that people might see christ and and so then it really needs to get back to i guess where we really see ourselves in god's plan and so the title this this morning is is what is the purpose of the family and i would say this the purpose of the family is the same as the purpose of the church the purpose of the family and and the purpose of the church is that people can see christ and we want people to see Christ God's way, not our way. Uh, but as we looked at that, I thought, well, okay, well, okay, that, that's the cliche, or that, that's, the, that's the main idea that we can kind of rally around. But, okay, well, how, how is that really supposed to work out? Well, it really works out in terms of, of how we are committed to live according to God's agenda rather than our own. And... As we think about that, I took another step back and said, you know, that's really fundamental, fundamental in terms of how we even see God's invitation for us to participate in his, his gospel plan for our lives. See, the word gospel simply means good news. And the good news is that God has a plan for our life that is, that is um, better than anybody else's plan. The world's plan, our plan, anybody else's plan for your life. It's God's plan. But... For us to get involved in God's plan, there, there's, there's an ingredient to the gospel message that is often left out. Or if it's left out, it's, it's not fully applied. Or it, it was once applied, but we, we have a tendency to forget. If you, you know, in my business, you know, the ministry business, you know, I'm, I'm reading people all the time as they, as they kind of give an assessment of what's, what's happening within America in terms of as it relates to spiritual things and what's happening globally and what is it about the presentation of the gospel we're doing well or not doing so well? And, and often when people begin to evaluate the gospel being presented, whether it be from a pulpit or from a platform or beyond a, a one-on-one relationship, that often the word that we leave, leave out, and it's not so important that you use the word, but that the message is communicated. That for a person to get in on God's plan, somewhere in that that choice, we understand the need for repentance. 
that, that somehow we realize that, that anyone who gets in on God's plan has to repent. Now, that, that's a religious word, but it simply means you need to recognize that you, need, you are going one way and you need to turn around. That you, you thought you were doing what was right or best, but really you weren't doing that which is right and best because you were going your way rather than God's way. And that's true individually or, or whether it's collectively, you know, as a group of Christians together in the church or whether it's in the family. We need to recognize that we repent at that point of relationship with Christ and we are in a constant state of repentance because we have a tendency to, to go astray and go our own way rather than God's way. And so then, then we have to get back, okay, if that's really true, I need to always remind myself or ourselves that we live for God's purposes, not our own. I didn't say in this first service, but obviously that, that very familiar book that was written by Rick Warren a number of years ago, The Purpose Driven Life, the, the very first words out of his book is, it's not about you. And, and sometimes we kind of wrestle with that and we say, well, yeah, I know that's true about me personally. But we need to recognize, too, it's also about families or marriages. It's not really about you. It's really about, it's really about God and his plan for you. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to talk about the purpose of marriage. But I'm going to throw this in as well. It's not only the purpose of marriage, but it's also the purpose of being single. There's really only two options. Either you're married or you're not married. And some of you have been married, no longer married. And some of you are married. And if you are married, God wants you to stay married. But it doesn't matter what state you're in. The purpose is always the same. To be about God's plan, not your own. Now, what we have often, however, is about the lie that, that the marriage is for my fulfillment. You know, they're not, you know, my marriage partner is not fulfilling my needs. They're not helping me out. Well, that might be true. And that's sad that that's happening. But... The real, the real horrific thing is it's not about God's plan more than your plan. And so we're going to try to see this more. We're going to look at some simple things, why God put this whole thing together called marriage. But I also want to show how that's also true about being single. And I want to, well, no matter what stage of life you're in, God sees this as a great opportunity to live out his purpose for you. So with that as a fairly lengthy uh, uh, introduction. Let me let me jump into some things. Okay, what's God's point for His people? And in case you don't figure it out later on, this this message is given to you by the letter P. All right, the purpose for marriage, God's points for His people, and let me give you everything in case you want to sleep during the message. All right, number one, point number one is to participate more fully and effectively in His plan, not your own plan. To participate more fully and effectively in His plan, not your plan. And I'll just say this for free at the beginning. For a Christ follower, the reason you get married is not only because you love the person you want to marry and you want to live the rest of your life with that person, is you believe that you are better together. You are better as a family unit, as a husband and wife, than you would be singly to do God's plan. Right? Number two, purpose for marriage is to prevent loneliness. Uh, and we'll see that. In fact, I don't, I'll just tell you what the point is now. In, in Genesis, it says, it is not good for man to be alone. So very simply, God brought that institution of marriage together because 
men are very needy. You know, they're not very good alone, okay? And so it's to prevent loneliness. Thirdly, is to provide help. Uh, the man looked around and said, there's no one to help me with this task you've given me to do. And so he looked at all the other animals and said, I don't want that one, I don't want that one, I don't want that one. So God created a helper for him. And so, again, man is not only needy, but he needs a lot of help. Say amen, women. Amen. The man, the man I know, he needs a lot of help, all right? His, you know, that's why marriage is together, because men are needy and they need help. Thirdly, fourthly, if I can count right, it is to protect us physically and sexually. Uh, and I'm not going to have a whole lot of time to talk about that, but God made us sexual beings, and if we're not able to control ourselves, uh, we're not able to control ourselves. He said, look, marriage is for that. In fact, the Bible says that when we don't get a handle on that, we can sin against our own body. And so it's to protect us physically and sexually. And then fifthly, it's to prepare us for pure joy. To prepare us for pure joy. And, and so that's the purpose of the marriage as, a, as I look at Scripture. But, but I want to camp on the very first point to begin with. Because this is really what all of being a Christ follower is about. Is once we, are, once we encounter the message of God's plan, His his gospel message, his good news that Christ died on the cross for us and rose again so that we might be adopted into his family, that we might become part of his, his eternal um, collection of people that, that praise him and serve him and, and are about his agenda. Uh, we need to recognize that, as we've said before, Christ comes into our life, but what we do is we get into his life. He helps us with our plans, but even more so that we get involved in his plan. And that should be ultimately the decision why we get married or whether we stay single. Well, let me try to biblically back that up. Why would I say that even marriage purpose is to be more fully and effectively in this plan? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32 as you're in your outline. Uh, Paul writes, for this reason. Now, that sounds like a purpose clause, doesn't it? You know, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you married? Well, what's the reason? Okay. Well, the reason, and then he defines marriage, is a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, it is interesting. God knew that, that this earth was going to be populated because when he first said this, how many men and women were there? There was one man and there was one woman. There's only two. Did they have a father and a mother? No, they didn't have So they didn't have to leave their father and mother. They just had to be joined together as one. But he knew this was going to be propagated. This was going to, this was going to go on and on and on. And he said, I want you to understand that there's going to be a, a separation from one family to, to, the, to create a new family. And these people would come together and there would be a oneness about them. And that's what marriage is. It's two becoming together to the point where we are going to form a family unit and there's going to be a unity. There's going to be a harmony there. Now, often that's fractured, and that's not what is shown, but that was, that's what a marriage is to be all about. But what's interesting, after verse 31 comes verse 32. Very good class. Verse 32 says this. This is a great mystery. And you're thinking, what's so mysterious about that? Okay, from the very beginning, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, said it there. Man, you know, man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one. I heard that before. That's not the mystery. The mystery, and the mystery there was something they didn't quite fully grasp or understand. There are a lot of things in life that I sort of get. Can you guys understand that? If you ever get something, you're working on something, you sort of get it, but you don't quite get it. That usually happens when I'm doing electrical work or plumbing work or 
when I'm in a boat, you know, under a lake and I capsize, you know, there's a lot of things I sort of get how to do and then it doesn't quite work out the right way. Well, a lot of people get married, but they don't quite get it, okay? And even in the church, they don't quite get it. So he said, this is not only a mystery, but it's a great mystery. It's a mega mystery. What is the mega mystery? But I speak, and this is right in the context of talking about the family, concerning Christ and the church. What's that piece of the puzzle there? So I want you to understand, the family is like the church. And what is the church? The church is the expression of what God is doing in the lives of people. And so the family ought to mirror our relationship with Jesus. And what do we do with Jesus as we become a Christ follower? We say to him, I surrender. I surrender my will, my plans, the purposes that I have desired, and I'm giving them to you. And he says, that's what will happen when a man and a woman come together. It, it should mirror an individual's relationship with the Savior, Jesus, and the, collectively the church's relationship to Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. He sends the instructions out. We are to follow his instructions. And he says, that's what the family ought to be about. It's where we submit ourselves to Christ, and then we submit ourselves to his word and follow his pattern for our life. You know, so that speaks drastically in terms, uh, you know, women don't marry a man you don't want to follow. And men don't marry a person that you don't want to love. Love sacrificially and in a servant way. Because that's, that's the union that the church in Christ is to be all about. And that's what it ought to be in the home. This is the great mystery that often people, again, think that marriage is for their own fulfillment. It's not primarily for that. It, it accomplishes that, or it can, but it's really a fulfillment of God's plan, just like Christ in the church is for, the church, for our relationship with him. Now, has this always been God's plan? And I'm just going to make some allusions to the scripture here. In Genesis chapter 126, when it says that God created a man in his own image, and then right after he said, and then I says, I've got something for you to do. I, I want to give you dominion over all the fish and all the animals on this planet. And I take that very simply. When God created us, placed us on this planet, and he created us in his image, then he had something for us to do. And what was it to do? To follow his word or to follow his will. And then he goes on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It said that he created them both male and female. And then it repeated the same thing. And then I want you to have dominion over this world. And so from the very beginning, when he created man and woman, male and female. It was the, for the purpose of that union, but that u- union where together they were supposed to do God's will and God's plan. Uh, Jesus said this very simply to his disciples, and this is, this is true individually or within a couple relationship, uh, is, is found in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom. And you could say, seek first his plan. And they said that all these things shall be added unto you. So fundamentally, in a marriage relationship, that's the question that has to be asked. Are, are we all about ourselves? Or are we really all about Christ in our lives? Do we look for him as the head of this home to lead us? Or are we really going to have that battle of the sexes where we all do our own thing? Now, Apostle Paul picked this up. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7. 
I said, really, as you think about the home, the home is a home, whether there are two there in terms or, or the, 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 the children there as well, or whether you're single or you have, have uh, roommates or whatever it might be, is that the purpose is always the same. Where you do life, where you do life, the purpose of it is to, to fully participate in God's plan uh, in your life. First Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now what's he saying here? He said, I am single, and quite frankly, I wish everybody was single. But I don't want you to be single if that's not your gift, if that's not how God has wired you. If God has wired you to be married, then be married. If God has not wired you to be married, then don't be married. But I want you to at least consider the options. And this is where we need culturally to realize if a person is not married, there's not something wrong with them. You know, that could be, they could be exactly where God wants them to be. And, and some of you have been married and are now, are now single. And if, if you are content in that, remain single. It's interesting, throwing this in for free, it's interesting, uh, most men, um, I don't have all the statistics to back this up, but most men... If they uh, lose their life partner, and usually the, the, the weaker sex lives longer than the stronger sex, if you've noticed that. You know, women live longer than usually the men. And the women are so much more secure and together, they often don't get remarried. They don't, I don't need another partner. I can just live my life by myself. The men, if they lose their life partner, they're usually hunting really quick because they, they're needy and they need help and all that kind of stuff. But what he's saying is, look at. Whatever state you're in, consider possibly that's, that's the best place for you right now. Uh, picking this up in verse 27, he says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. In other words, if you're married, stay married. And then he says, uh, same thing, and if you uh, uh, do not seek to be loosed, are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Either way, wife or man or man or wife. Okay, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So he was talking about people that weren't married. He says, now, you can get, you know, you can get married again if you want, but I want you to know there's, there's a little trouble with getting married. Have you ever had trouble with your life partner? You know, you know they're not always easy to live with, right? And he said, there, there are some issues that happen when you're living with someone. Those things that, that used to attract you to them before you got married are the things that kind of repel you once you're with them all the time, all right? Um, just talk to Alice if you want a testimony on that. Okay, but this I say, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world uh, as not misusing it for the form in this world is passing away. Well, what's he saying there? He says, even if you are married, I want you to understand our purposes here are not to serve ourselves. We ought to live in such a way that we're not distracted by this world. Because, again, our lives ought to, first of all, understand the purpose is to fully participate and more fully participate and be effective in God's plan, living out for His kingdom. Now, taking material things. Have you noticed that when you buy something, it usually breaks? And then when it breaks, you have to fix it. And if you can't fix it, you've got to buy it again. And just it's just... It's bothersome sometimes. The more you have, the more you have to maintain. And he said, this is a cycle. I realize there's more important things than just fixing things that break. Verse 32, but I want you to be without care. He was married, cares for the things of the Lord, um, how he may please the Lord. But he was married, 
cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And then he says it again and say, look, if you're wise, if you are married to someone, then you're, part of your plan is to, to care for your husband's needs. And, and that's how God has built it. And he's not saying don't do that. It's God's will for you as a spouse to care for your spouse's needs. And, and if you're the spouse over here, you care for your spouse's needs over here. But he goes on and says, however, I want you to understand, that, look at verse 35, and this I say for your own profit, not, not that I may put a leash on you trying to tell you whether you ought to be married or not married, but for what is proper that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And so what are you saying here? The purpose of life is to serve the Lord. As the Westminster category, you know, uh, Catechism said, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And to glorify God is to serve Him. Now you serve Him by taking care of the needs of your family and pleasing your spouse. But people can accomplish the, the, their purpose which is to serve God, to glorify God, whether you're married or whether you're single. But that's, that's the agenda. That's, that, that's why we wake up in the morning if we're a Christ follower, is to serve Him, to glorify Him, and not be distracted too much by the cares of this world. Now, for some, the best way to do that is to be married. And that's why, from the very beginning, God, God, beginning, God instituted marriage. But some people, he said, you ought to remain single. And the whole idea I'm emphasizing this, in the marriage home, and I'm going to be performing a ceremony this Saturday for one of our young couples in a different arena of bringing them together. And as I've gone through the counseling, I said, and they're so in love, you know, and they're just so excited about getting married. I said, okay, I'm so excited that you're excited. But I want you to understand, as, as Christians, your purpose as a married as a married couple, is to be involved in God's plan. And you're convinced that you can accomplish God's plan better together than you could do separately. And I'm convinced that's true. Now, they have to continually choose to do that, but they need to understand that's, that's the purpose of their marriage. And when they come in conflict with each other, it's not a matter of battling the sexes, but saying, Let's battle what God's will is for our life. What, what can we do to better serve Christ together? That's God's agenda. That's God's purpose. That's God's reason for being married or being single. Now, all that I said at the introduction of this message is true as well. God, as he made us, realized that, that we, um, we, we struggle if we live life often alone. And so as, as he plopped Adam into this, onto this planet and Adam began to live life for a short period of time, he recognized he really needs um, somebody else in his life. And that's why God, God said in Genesis chapter 2.18, he said, it's not good for man to be, what? Alone. And, and so par, part of that, that understanding that God wants you to be married is actually, you know, I, I really want a life partner. I want a person I can not only share life together, but I, we can do life together, and we can, we can as a couple, do God's will uh, as, we, as we live together. And that's because God has made us to, to be people who aren't alone. And we can have friendships with people, and that's why singles are not fully alone, but some need that life partner. 
And that's God's will for you. And that's why Paul says, I, I can't tell you to be single like I am. And Paul could go anywhere and everywhere because he did not have to have the responsibilities of taking care of the wife. Secondly, not only do we need a life partner often because we need not to be alone, but we need, we need help. And really the idea of helper there, and we need to understand, and I want to say this because you know, I just talked last Lord's Day about the, the woman's role of being submissive to the, the leadership of the husband in the home. And we're going to talk about what that means, men. But so, so often when, when women hear that, they're hearing, well, that means I'm inferior, that I, I am not as important as, as the man in the house. And, and that's farthest from the truth. It doesn't mean you're inferior. It doesn't mean you're as impor- not, not, uh, less important than the man in the home. But there's a certain role that mirrors Christ being the head of the church where you look to leadership and you, you help him be successful and you help him spiritually take responsibility. And that's what leadership is. It's responsibility. But it's not an inferior relationship. Uh, this word for helper is an interesting word throughout the scripture. But it, it reminds me of that, that statement that Jesus made that to me is probably the most unbelievable verse in the Bible. And I've said that too many times. It's when Jesus said, it's going to be better for you, speaking to his disciples, that I go away. Now, can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God, who walked on water, fed the thousands at one time, uh, could heal every kind of disease, that when they were in his presence, they had no fear. You know, we've talked about be not afraid, be not afraid. That's kind of the, 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 the first words out of an angelic uh, manifestation, and even when God, you know, often he just said, be not afraid, be not afraid, be not They were never afraid when they were in the presence of Jesus. When he was gone and then he came back, they, they wouldn't, wasn't sure where he was, or if he was asleep, they were full of fear. But when they were in the presence, they were never afraid. And, and, then, he, he, and then he told them, oh, it's going to be better for you that I take off. Uh, they couldn't believe that. But then he said, right, let, let me tell you why that's true, because I'm going to send you a helper. Now, who was the helper? Some, someone inferior to Jesus? It couldn't be. If it's better for him to take off than for him to remain, it had, someone, had to be someone equal to him. But it was going to be a role where he would be constantly with him. We are never away from the presence of God because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our comforter. He's our source of strength. He's the one who guides us. And then the role of a woman in a home is, is filled with prominence because it makes it all work. What, what's the purpose of a home? It, it's for us to fully participate more effectively in carrying out God's plan. Secondly, it's to prevent loneliness. Thirdly, it's to provide help. Fourthly, it just meant, it's to protect us physically and spiritually. Uh, physically and sexually. You know, I could give you all kinds of statistics about sexually transmitted diseases. That doesn't happen in a monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. It just does not happen. The reason there are sexually transmitted diseases is because mankind has broken God's plan. And when God's plan is broken, just like gravity, if you jump off a building, you're going to hit the ground. And when we break God's plan, it affects us, not only spiritually and emotionally and mentally, but physically. And so that was given so that that we might be protected. 
In Ephesians 6, it says that when we, when we uh, don't flee immorality, it's like, it's like we're, we're sinning against our own body. We're, we're hurting ourselves. We're making a choice in which it's just going to be the natural course of events that we will be affected. And, and so God brought marriage into existence so that we might be physically well rather than physically um, dysfunctional and diseased and hurt. And then fifthly, uh, it's to prepare us for pure joy. In Proverbs chapter 5, it says that that, that a man ought to delight in the wife of his youth. And it gets pretty graphic, actually, in that passage. In Genesis chapter 26, verses 8 and 9, particularly if you have the old King James Version, I believe it is, it it, it talks about, and I think in the New American Standard as well, it talks about Isaac, and this is a long story, I don't have time to tell, but Isaac, you know, he gets in the land, kind of falls after his, his... his father's example, and he has a really hot-looking wife, and he says, uh, they're going to they're gonna take my life because they want my wife. And so I'll just tell them you're my sister, Rebecca. And, uh, you know, so they take her into the harem or whatever it might be, and, and this king sees Isaac with his wife, and it says he's sporting with her. Sometimes people ask, ask me, because, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm a recovering sportsaholic, what's your favorite sport? My favorite sport's my wife, all right? Is that, is that this is this, God gave us marriage for the purpose of, of experiencing joy to its fullness. And it's experienced in its fullness when we, we are living out according to his plan. Uh, Psalm 16, 11 says, In his presence is fullness of joy. And we're in his presence when we're obedient to God's word. So as, as we think about setting an example for the home or teaching younger women about the home, uh, young, younger people about the home, we want to begin at the beginning. The beginning is all of life, whether we're single or married, whatever stage of life we are in, it's all, all about participating more fully and effectively in God's plan, not our own. You know, that's why, that's why in the gospel presentation of Jesus, you know, he said, if, any, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. Jesus didn't use the repent word there, but he, it's in that message, isn't it? We've got to deny self. And the positive side of that, we've got to affirm God's will. We've got to pick up our cross. We're willing to make any sacrifice because his sacrifice so far exceeds our own sacrifice. We need to follow him, not our own path. And that's true individually, it's true collectively as a church, and it's true in the home. The purpose of the home is the same as the purpose of the church. It's a place where people ought to see Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us to be purposeful, which is full of your purpose for our lives, to, to show people that Christ lives within us, and that's where fullness of life resides. Father, we want to live where we enjoy you and and glorify you and and allow people to lift up and praise the the God, their maker, and and their God, their redeemer. And Father, be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they recognize this this is what, this is why Jesus came, to seek and to save that which was lost, to bring life more full and meaningful abundant, to give life that will last forever and life will be full of fullness. Help us to be all in, all in every day to serve you. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we as we sing.